grateful for how you guys serve us in this way. If you're able to remain standing, uh, then um, uh, take your Bibles. Well, even if you're not able to remain standing, still take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. This morning we want to look at that section beginning at verse 121 down through 128. There's a Bible in the pew. If you want to grab that and turn to page, I think, 515, that would get you to our passage as well. Otherwise, uh, Psalm 119, beginning at verse 121. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. I have done what is right. I mean, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. And Father, our prayer that as we now spend these next moments looking at your word, that just as we've sought to worship you through singing, as we've sought to worship you through praying and trusting in you, Father, now we We wish to praise you by how we hear and receive your word. Father, we pray that that by your spirit, your word would work in us. And it would work change in us. That our lives would be shaped and reshaped by these very words that we are considering. For we thank you that we have this treasure of your word. Teach us, change us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are in the 16th unit of Psalm 119. There are 22 units in Psalm 119. We're looking at them according to their own natural structure, eight verses at a time. So there's 176 verses all together, but we're now in the 16th unit. Uh, The theme that ties all of these units together is something of the functional and practical value of God's Word in the life of a follower of Christ. And while that ties all of these units and verses together, uh, each eight-verse unit has its own unique slant or emphases. The occasion of Psalm 119, verses 121 to 128, is affliction, struggle, suffering. We're, we're back on that theme again, if you would. 
as earlier units have picked up on that. And yet while the occasion is affliction, struggle, the orientation is Godward. Two things I want us to think through, four verses apiece from these two things. First, I want us to think about our plea to the to the loyalty of the Lord. That's in verses 121 to 124. And then I want us to consider our pledge of loyalty to the Lord. That's verses 125 through 128. You see, in being Godward, the 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 mood or the framework, if you would, probably framework is a better word, of these eight verses is something about loyalty. And yet that loyalty is cutting both ways. Uh, the, 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 the psalmist is uh, appealing to or pleading to the Lord's loyalty. And yet, and yet before we're done, the psalmist is also pledging or renewing his loyalty to the Lord. A, a word that occurs three times here, uh, one in verse one twenty-one. I mean, I'm sorry, in verse one twenty-two, one twenty-four, and one twenty-five is servant. Now, boy, this isn't the first time um, that the term servant has cropped up in Psalm one nineteen, and I point that out again not only because it's repeated three times, so therefore there's obviously something percolating around of importance in this particular unit. But it's a reminder of how this term is actually used in its Old Testament context. The term servant is, 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 a, is a term that reflects the psalmist's understanding that he lives in relationship with the Lord through covenant. The Lord... Boy, I'm just a broken record, aren't I? The Lord doesn't do casual relationships. The Lord does relationships through covenant in which he, which he uh, pledges or promises covenant faithfulness to his people, and he calls his people to live out faithfully to him in, in terms of the instructions of the covenant. Well, that's a whole lot to say, and so how the Old Testament just does that is when the Old Testament uh, speaks of being the Lord's servant... That's just a shorthand rendition of saying that the psalmist is understanding, I, I live before the Lord covenantally. The Lord lives with his people in a covenant relationship. Now, the, the focus of this first unit of four verses is, for the most part, the, the psalmist's plea being how he lives in covenant relationship with the Lord, a plea to the Lord to display his loyalty, uh, his own loyalty to him in covenant. And yet it begins, verse, just the first half of verse 121, it begins with a kind of an, an admission or an acknowledgement of his own loyalty to the Lord. I have done what is just and right. Again, those are covenant terms. That's the psalmist acknowledging that he truly is a servant of the Lord. It's, 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 we don't have to take that to mean that he's pretending as though he has 
perfectly and completely done what is just and right. But it just stands to reason. To live in covenant relationship with the Lord means that the, the direction and the trajectory of his life is this way and not that way. It, it matters to him because it matters to his Lord what is just and what is right. In other words, he, what he is saying is that the, is that the focus, the direction, the, the striving, the attempt of my life has been to act in line with what God's law says. And in so doing, in acting in line with what God's law says, he has treated people correctly and properly. Again, I pointed out, boy, is the term justice used a whole bunch today in our society? Social justice. I don't know why we have to use that term. Why don't we just call it justice? Well, I tell you why. Because there's, a, there's, a, there's an alternative agenda by putting social in front of justice. In other words, we're, we want to redefine what justice looks like and consists of, and so we have to modify the term justice. The psalmist is just saying, I've done what is just and right. I've done people, I've done people right by how I've lived, because God's law is what defines what true justice and righteousness consists of. He's, he's living out, uh, is, he's attempting to live out covenant loyalty to the Lord. And so now what flows from the second part of verse 121 down through 124 is a series of pleas, just one topped on, stacked on top of another, pleas to the Lord, to the appealing to the loyalty of the Lord. The Lord is being looked to and called upon based upon his covenant faithfulness. Isn't it good to know this morning that as we gather and and, and we deal with the God of the Bible, we are dealing with a God who is eminently and eternally faithful to his people whom whom he lives in covenant with. He's never had an unfaithful moment in his life. He's never had an unfaithful thought or affection for his people in his life. He has only and always acted in covenant faithfulness to the Lord. And that consciousness on the part of the psalmist's life is what's driving him to now plea and appeal to the Lord once again. So he begins this long string in the second part of 121. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation. And I think what he means in that sense is just your deliverance from these oppressors and from this oppression. My eyes long. And, and, and what does it mean for eyes to long? It's, just, it's like, it's like I, I, I am weeping tears. I'm, 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 I, 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 am, I am sorrow-filled and, and crying out to you, literally crying out to you with tears for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. You've made promises. That's what you are as a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Again, another covenant phrase. God's steadfast love is the, is the, is the unique term that describes how God feels and acts. It's God's loyalty, if you would, to his covenant 
people. Do you see that string of appeals? That string of pleas, if you would, to the the loyalty of the Lord, for the Lord to be loyal? This, this This is not telling the Lord what to do. This is appealing to the Lord on the basis of what He has promised to do. You see the subtle distinction there? This is not you and I just thinking up, well, I'll tell you what God ought to do. I'll tell Him a thing or two. No, this is the, this is the psalmist living in an awareness of who is this God? And what has this God said? And based upon his knowledge of God and awareness of what God has said, he is now bringing that back to the Lord. How do we deal with our troubles? To whom or to what do you turn? in your day of trouble. Oh, it may not be as acute of a trouble as what the psalmist is dealing with here, but that's sort of the ongoing, ever-enduring relevant relevancy of the Scriptures. It, it leaves things in, in somewhat generic terms so that the particulars of, of our struggle on this day may not correspond exactly with the particulars of the struggle in the psalmist's day, but it's still ours to grab a hold of and lay claim to. You've faced troubles. I know you have. I can, I, well, it's not that I can tell it on your face because, you know, well, especially if you've got a mask on, I can't tell it, but, but it's just because, well, welcome to, to humanity, we, we are fallen people living in a fallen world. It, uh, troubles shouldn't uh, surprise us in, in, in that sense. There's, there's, there's only something wrong with everything. Other than that, it's just fine. The, the, the real matter is not will we ever face troubles. The real matter is when we face troubles, how do we deal with those troubles? To whom or what do we turn? And, and, and because of the, the twistedness of, of sin, it, it, it actually offers suggestions to us as to who or what we could turn to that is anything other than the one true God who lives faithfully to his people in covenant. It, it actually makes sense to us at times because of the gnarly twistedness of our sinful thinking. It, it makes sense to us to... to to turn to created things, to think that these created things could somehow um, alleviate our troubles. We could turn to food or drink or some substance, thinking that if we consume enough of that or, or take in enough of that, it will somehow numb our soul so that we don't feel the pain. We, we could... We could, uh, we could sit on the couch and, and, and take in a little bit more TV, thinking that as we, uh, as we try to live in an alternative universe of, 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 of reality TV, that that somehow might uh, circumvent um, our, our own facing of reality and the troubles of our lives. See, there's a, there's a host 
of ways that we could turn to someone or something to help deal with our troubles. All along, there is the one true God. Do we realize that we can? Do we realize that we must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we realize how how incredibly strong and mighty he has demonstrated that he wants to be turned to? He took on flesh and lived here on this life, on this earth. He lived a perfect, righteous life. He went to the cross and died as a perfect, righteous sacrifice. God raised him from the dead. God seated him at his right hand. God has instructed him to intercede for us. And at the right time, he will return for us. He has done all of that for us and for our salvation. He is the true servant of God who has, who has made a new covenant so that people like us who turn from ourselves and turn from trusting in lesser things and turn to the Lord, we are now a part of God's new covenant family, a new race of people even, if you would. And He's the one that we can turn to time and time again. We are, we are sustained by Him in our troubles. He he won't leave us alone. Psalm 56 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. Psalm 46, 1 says, The Lord is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of need. Psalm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 26.3 says, He will keep you in perfect peace, him whose mind has stayed upon you. You see, the, this is all language of, of a God who says, Trust me, look to me. I am, I am uber faithful. You can count on me. Look to me. Trust in me. And that's, that's the psalmist. These appeals then are not being derived from the psalmist just thinking it up on his own and taking the initiative, the psalmist is responding to God's covenant faithfulness as expressed in God's covenant promises, and he is calling out to the Lord. And yet, if there is anything wonderful about the troubles in our lives, troubles are a context for clarifying to whatever degree there might be a gap between what we profess or even who we profess to be our Lord and how we actually live out a life of dependence upon the Lord. In other words, one of the greatest potential tragedies in in life is we could gather here in this room for this hour and sing of the Lord's faithfulness and sing of our trust in the Lord's faithfulness. And then once the service is done, we're done with that. 
And then anything or anyone other than the one whom we just sang to and sang about is actually the object of our trust. There's this, there would be this horrible gap in our lives between what we sing about on Sunday and how we live out a, a, an alternative kind of reality Monday through Saturday. May the God whom we sing about on Sunday be the God whom we trust in on Monday. The psalmist is displaying that. The psalmist is, 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 is using his experience from God's word to help cultivate a continued consciousness of God's presence in his life and of God's covenant loyalty to provide uh, his presence and help to his people in our time of trouble. Let me move on to the second point. There is the, so there was the psalmist's plea to the loyalty of the Lord, and now there's the psalmist's pledge of loyalty to the Lord. This is a, the second half of this unit is, is simply the, the perfect balance, if you would, to the, to the first half. Covenant loyalty cuts both ways. The Lord is loyal to His covenant people, and the Lord calls His people to be loyal to our covenant to Him. He begins that then with, there's our word again, in verse 125. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. I'm your servant. He's already said at the very end of 124, teach me your statutes. And now, packed upon top of that notion of teach me your statutes, he adds to that and says, and, and give me understanding. In other words, I, I don't want to just simply have a set of information that's irrelevant to my life. I, 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 I want to expand upon just having mere instruction to have having enabled understanding and so that I would have internalized change. I give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Not just know something about them, but, but the, the, the imagery there is more of an intimacy, that, that, your, that, your, that, your, that your statutes, that your word is, is not just something I, I have a, a cognitive category of, but that my heart and life is being shaped by your statutes. And then he takes that sense of prayer in 125, sense of, 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 a, of praying for God's word in 125, and then notice what he like bursts out and prays in the first part of 126. It is time for the Lord to act. How should we take that? I mean, as, just as I first read that, I thought, that's kind of bossy, isn't it? God, where are you? Get down here right now. Don't make me come up there and get you. I mean, is that, is that the tone or the, the sense or the mood of, 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 of what's going on here? I, I, I don't think it is. And certainly we can be presumptuous in how we cry out to the Lord. But what I would suggest to you is that when he says it is time for the Lord to act, 
That's just a beautiful heart cry of God's people. I, I, in fact, I would suggest to you that that, that, the, that language, it is time for the Lord to act, is not altogether different than how we were taught to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Lord, bring your kingdom down. Are you telling God what to do? No, God's told me how to pray as to what ought to be done. See, that's why he's prayed, teach me your statutes. Give me understanding that, that, I, might, that I might know um, your testimonies. And, and what has he been taught? What understanding does he have? Uh, what does he know? He, he knows now that, that, that God says, cry out to me. Tell me what I said I'm going to do. It's no different as well than... Uh, than by saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's Matthew 6. Even what we have patterned for us in Revelation 22 at the very end of the book, after we've been told everything, how this is going to pan itself out. Uh, the, the, uh, the Apostle John just simply says, Come, Lord Jesus! Come! Get down here! That's not, that's not, not him being bossy, but it's him being directed in his heart to know that's how you ought to pray. How should we think about the current culture that we're living in? How should we deal with what we perceive to be discouragement in terms of the honoriness of, uh, of people and the lack of morality? We're going to develop a strategy to do something with, with our ill feelings. For many of us, we're, we might be tempted to say, now it's time to double down on our political posturing. We need to get our guy in the office there. Might it be time to not double down on our political posturing? Might it be time to double down on our prayer posture? While it does matter some, our true, true hopes must never be tethered to the person we send to Jeff City or the person that we send to Washington, D.C. Our real hopes are our God has made these robust promises on what he's up to and how he's bringing everything to conclusion. And when we read that and study that and meditate upon that and marinate on that, there ought to be a certain measure of cry. This now is the time for the Lord to act. Now is the time for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done. Now is the time. Come, Lord. Do, do, you, see the, do you see the fundamentally different, distinct orientation and posture of our heart. One looks to a human man or a woman who, who makes some pretty fancy-sounding promises and we go, oh boy, we got we're going to be, our train is going to arrive when that person gets there. Or we can look to the Lord. 
He goes on. Why does he say it's time to act? It's time for the Lord to act, second verse, verse 126, for, for your law has been broken. Do you see why he's appealing to the Lord to act? In essence, as he looks around and sees the Lord's law broken, part of what's driving his prayer is that his own heart has been broken because of the Lord's law being broken. He feels a burden that that the Lord is being dishonored. and And yet, where does he go next with this? Lord, your law has been broken. The insolent, the oppressors have broken your law. He concludes with this personalized testimony of sorts in verses 127 to 128. Therefore, I love your commandments. Do you you see the distinction here? Lord, I look around and and it it feels like no one is paying any mind to your law. They they, they shatter it. Lord, we, we live even today in a time in which sin is now fashionable. It's stylish. Vice is now honored as being beautiful. Holiness is now ridiculed as being pathetic. And virtue is being repudiated. And yet, how should that land upon us? Well, on some level, how it should land upon us is that's what they're doing, but that's not who I am. They are who they are, but I am who I am. Who am I? I am a servant who says that I am living in covenant loyalty to the God who is loyal to his people. And so, Lord, I love your commandments. I love them above gold. Now, remember earlier in uh, verse 72, he says, uh, he says, your word is better than thousands of pieces of silver. Now he says, your, because your commandments are better than, than, than the finest of gold. I consider all your precepts right. I hate every false way. The, the psalmist's response is, is to the Lord's law being broken by the people around him is that the Lord's law and word is now more precious to him than ever before. The world's disdain for God's word invokes a counter-response in his own heart. The world's disdain for God's law today should invoke a counter-response in us. It should drive us deeper into God's word. It should cause us to consider his word more deeply. And then it should rightly color uh, our disdain for every false way. Why? We are the ones who say we are the Lord's servants. And we don't do that begrudgingly. We are the Lord's servants. And because of what Christ has done, we are the Lord's servants who are also his well-loved people. Father, thank you.
for your word. Thank you for the covenant loyalty that you display to us as your people. Thank you, Father, for, for your faithfulness. And Father, really, uh, any, any attempt on our end to claim a note of faithfulness, Father, is simply derived from how your faithfulness toward us works not only for us, but in us. And so, Father, we trust in you. We trust you are faithful in all your ways. You are good and righteous in all your ways. And, Father, living in relationship with you, may now your loyalty get into our bones and change us that we would be your ever-loyal people to you. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We want to